Bouchardin of Neontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Most biases are directed towards minority segments of a population, such as beliefs in the inferiority or superiority of certain sexes, genders, races, or cultures. But what if I told you it was possible to be biased against everyone, including your future self? While that may seem unlikely and nonsensical, the truth is that this particular belief system is widespread and latently implicit in many societies. Today, we're talking about ageism. So, yeah, I, um, I appreciate you wanting to do this topic because I wrote a paper on it this week for school and I found it pretty, pretty fascinating. Well, so. the paper was pretty fascinating, so I'm glad to have read it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a timely topic. Yeah, yeah. So let's start out by asking, what is ageism? Well, I, we'll talk with that and we'll combine a little bit of the, uh, the history of the word because this is one of those words that was coined in 1968. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this is relatively new. as a man named Dr. Robert Butler. And he was describing the reason he coined it in the late 60s was to, uh, to talk about a systemic discrimination uh, based on older people. And so he thought it was the next civil rights movement, which tells you something about the 60s which I lived through as a little boy. Uh, <laughs> of course, never heard of Robert Butler or anything of those of, of that, but it's interesting to realize, to think that people thought that in that time, the other problems were just going to be solved and so we could move on to ageism. It's very optimistic. <laughs> very optimistic. <laughs> uh, but we essentially ageism can be a number of things, as you point out in your paper. It can be stereotypical or prejudicial or discriminatory uh, thoughts or actions against or uh, generalizations about a certain age. It can also, but but it it can be reverse applied or applied in uh, reverse, so that there's ageism about people in their thirties or twenties or teens, and anytime somebody my age. Uh, talks about kids these days, <laughs> they're applying a kind of ageism that's just as ugly as what gets applied to people in their sixth or seventh decade. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is interesting that way because I think that it started out, and I think most people who use the terms think of it as discrimination against um, aged people. And I think that that's true. Um, but yeah, it really is. It's basically just making a judgment based solely on the age of a person, yeah. regardless of what that age is. Just age say, is a function of time, just mm -hmm. of time. Right. X mark on the, on the linear ruler yeah. <laughs> means Y. And yeah, and you can make, I think that, you know, there's probably not any age that's safe from that. You know, probably the easiest time period might be um, mid-20s to mid-30s might be the time you're most free from it. But there's still things, right? If you were attempting to, um, you know, who knows what the kids are into these days, right? Maybe skateboarding, right? Maybe if I want to be a professional skateboarder at 34, people would be like, oh, what are you doing? You're an old man and, you know, or that's that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's it, it, I think that it tends to be, you know, aimed more at young people or more at old people than it does people in middle age 
but I think it really depends on what topic you're talking about, what what sort of area you're looking mm-hmm. at. Because there's so many kinds of ageism. We, I guess we'll talk about this. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I, this will add, uh, question has already been answered based off of the, the age of the word, but <laughs> is ageism or the severity of ageism a recent phenomenon? The idea of age is as old as... <laughs> is as old as philosophy. So Aristotle wrote significantly about age, but more from the physical and from the applied, I'm putting quotation marks, science of the time, uh, which is not our science. As we've established many times, science is philosophical. Uh, so it's not it's not new in the sense of considering the time itself. Um, <clears throat> Aristotle probably thought that uh, time was grounded in age, and now we seem to think that, no, that age was grounded in time. That here are these demarcations as you get older and this falls apart and whatever. But now we look at it in a very different way. Um, so, so, yes, it's been around, but the idea that of coining a word to indicate that people are being discriminated against is pretty new. Yeah. And well, and I think that, that little history that you gave us is, is very interesting because, um, you know, the sixties was a time where there were a lot of movements to, um, you know, go out with the old and in with the new and, in a lot of things regarding, you know, race or, you know, all kinds of different stereotypes. The fact that, you know, we don't know the founder of the guy who coined the term. And, you know, some people might not even be familiar with the term. Um, kind of indicates that it never got addressed. It never really got addressed. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and within the medical community, I think it was starting to, then this gerontology has developed over, uh, you know, a number of decades, but still it's not all that old. Uh, and I think that, it comes out of that. So gerontology being how we address age and, and developmental terms uh, yeah. medically with, with people. But they're, they're all different kinds. Is this the place where we should talk about the kinds? Yeah, let's go ahead. All right. So there's institutional ageism. <clears throat> I think I'm at a point in my life where I can address some of these. <laughs> okay. Which, which, which essentially means, uh, uh, when any institution uh, perpetuates a kind of ageism in its actions and its policies. Well, any institution that says uh, people should retire at X age, whatever that is, has engaged in ageism to, uh, for whatever purpose. Uh, some of us experienced that in the pandemic. And you know, an arbitrary age of 55 or older is chosen as um, you know, we, for various financial reasons, we can't afford to pay you anymore. Mm. So please leave. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, you know, that's, that's one. There's interpersonal ageism where, where people, uh, are interacting socially and, and things come up. Uh, here's a quick example of that. I, I had my, not my first, but probably my most profoundly direct experience of that in talking to a seemingly younger person by tone of voice and by vocabulary uh, 
about an insurance policy that I was needing to cancel in order to be, uh, embrace Medicare. <laughs> and, and because I did not do a login properly the first time, uh, the person said to me, she was seemingly solicitous, but really condescending. That, oh, 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 now, sir, you're probably going to be getting excited because technology is probably, probably flummoxing you. It's, uh, you know, technology is very hard for people who are coming to be of a certain age. And, and I, I said, stop right there because you're being insulting. I don't think you're intending to be, but you're insulting me with every sentence that you're saying. You have no idea what my experience has been. You, you have no idea how complicated and interesting my life has been, what tools I may have used, what I may be familiar with. And you're jumping to an assumption because I made one error in inputting data. That's, you know, if that's how the, this call is going to go, I want somebody else to call me up because I can't, I can't do this. And she got really quiet. And she said, I, I need to go talk to somebody for a minute. <laughs> Put me on hold with, with nondescript music and came back and said, I, uh, I apologize. Uh, it says here that you're 65, so you're not as old as some of the people I deal with. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay, all right. I don't think I got heard, but let's just finish this off. So there's, there's that. And you can, and you can say whatever you want to as I'm going through these, but I, it's just, it's interesting to have experienced some of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, it's, we were talking a little bit along these lines before we started recording <clears throat> where, um, you know, I, what they, they're finding in the literature about aging is that um, the mindset and the prior experiences of the person play a great deal into um, how they act and how they perform at certain ages. So I've known several people who, um, you know, who grew up, you know, their first jobs were in technology back when everything was vacuum tubes and reel to reel tapes and stuff. Um, but their curiosity and their intelligence and their career field kept them in the flow of that. And they'd show me things about how to use, you know, features of my smartphone that I didn't know existed. Of course, or course, because there's of my always computer. more to learn. Right. So, um, yeah, the, it, that would be a good example of ageism. What you brought up is just the, the fact that somebody said, oh, well, based on the age, um, this person isn't going to know how to use technology. However, um, there is something to point out there, which is that um, there does tend to be, um, as people age, they've found you have two types of knowledge. You sort of have a working um, plastic kind of memory. You have crystalline memory, which is memory for facts and, and figures and, mm -hmm. and these sorts of things. They found that your crystalline memory increases throughout life, even into your eighth or ninth decade that can increase. Um, but the plastic working memory tends to become a little bit more rigid with time. And we're not talking significant, but, you know, usually by the time you get to be 70, um, you're losing something like 1% a year after the age of 65 or so. Yeah. So, okay, you get to be Here's 90. The decline. <laughs> you get, you, yeah, you get to be 90 and you're at 75% of your working memory, which is still a pretty significant chunk. Yeah, if you had 75% shields on the enterprise, it was still pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're doing, yeah, you're not doing too bad. Um, but, you know, so that, but that aspect of it has to do with learning new, new novel things, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you do see older people struggling with, with phones or whatnot, 
maybe that plays into it a little bit. And, but I think that the bigger part of it is not the, the physiological realities of decline so much as, um, the psychological aspects of the person and how they've traveled through their life and, and the things that they've experienced and how they approach different things. Which is well said, which is essentially internalized as well as externalized ageism, but, but internalized in, in, the, in the narrative and the things that you tell yourself. You know, I mean, it, and that, that little, that mundane little example I gave about being talked to on the phone, what I didn't like that I recognize that this can be, well, I've all the way through life, one can feel defensive, but the, the rapidity with which uh, my shields started going up as if, all right, now I've got to start asserting. Now we've reached the time in life where you got to bark back <laughs> or push back at the same time that you realize every single day I'm learning new things. So there's this, don't tell me who I am, but there's also, but yeah, I did make a mistake on inputting that data, but I think that was whatever one attributes it to. I don't think it was, I know it wasn't an unfamiliarity with logging in on a system. And, and so that, that, that defensiveness, I think in people can become a rigidity of its own kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, and I think it's understandable, but it still needs to be resisted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, um, you know, it's, uh, we joke around about Amanda and I about certain people in our lives who say, well, why'd they have to go and do that? You know? <laughs> and I think that it's, it's really a surface level assessment, right? It's saying, well, they changed something and now it's harder and you go, well, Maybe they change something and it's just going to take you a little bit of time to get used to it and it's actually better than it was, you know? So, yeah, there's a lot of aspects to it. Um, why do we discriminate based on age? Why do you think this, do you think it's just based upon how physiological changes happen or do you think that there's more to it than that? I think it's, I think it's based on the visual, but I also think it's, very, very complicated socially, psychologically, uh, for some of the things that you've, you've just said before. Uh, there is, and it's not unbearable, and sometimes it feels that way sometimes, but a totally natural um, assertion of one's prime in uh, generational terms. Um, but I'm trying to tread even carefully saying this because I don't want to be ageist in reverse. But, but still, I mean, obviously we, we, uh, as we get older, if we've, if we've lived the way that some of us thought we should live, and this is not a universal, uh, we're trying to, uh, make room and step back. <laughs> Not out, <laughs> but back, so that uh, next generations, plural, have space in which to figure themselves out and and apply new ideas and new approaches that might not have occurred to us because we didn't have all knowledge and new knowledge is constantly being formulated. And so it's not saying, well, I'm going to step out of the picture because I'm irrelevant now. 
relevance isn't really the issue. I knew somebody once who was afraid of being old because he was afraid of growing irrelevant. Uh, that's that's not my thing. Mm. I'm not sure I ever was relevant except <laughs> for the people I love. But I, but I think that there's a realization that one can contribute in however small ways an individual life ever does contribute. And but one has to take opportunities. I mean, William Shatner, the guy's in his nineties now. He writes books. He writes music. He does. You know, he does. And he ghost writes books. But the fascinating thing about what he has said consistently, even though he can be Shatner with a capital S and putting people off, whatever else, is is when he's most sincerely saying, "I've almost never said no to an opportunity," and I think that's why I still. I know I'm old, he says, but I still feel young. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think that's the walking, talking paragon of what you're, uh, what we were talking about even before the recording, that you don't have to grow old in all ways in the sense of any negativity. Yes, there's negative, and, and illness happens, and disease happens, and I'm not trying to rosy lens that. Of course, that's true. Any one of us, we don't know. None of us knows what's going to happen. But, but being open to opportunities, even if they, or especially if they seem a little off-putting, mm. I think, and it's been my, it's been my experience. I'm not Shatner, but I had a wonderful former student, uh, now become dear friend, who invited me to do a podcast. Wouldn't have occurred to me to do a podcast. Keeps me vital, keeps me studying philosophy, keeps me uh, realizing that I, I, we have a conversation. You and Amanda and I have a conversation that we have a conversation every week, which is one of the best parts of the week and makes me go back and read other things. And I get to read your papers and I have graduate students who I didn't know eight months ago who are sending me their papers because of, you know, and so, or I get asked to do some kind of, um, uh, do some acting or be be part of uh, a production of some kind with a local theater company, uh, Shake on the Lake, or or a dance studio where somebody needs a character to walk out on stage. Sure, I'll do that. I, I think that it's that kind of thing that makes one feel younger. So I don't think one has to be ageist. But like all isms, you know, people who say they're not racist, of course, <laughs> we are racist. It is built into us. We have to constantly, but we're not, we're not universally and at every moment, unless we choose to be, hmm. but we have to think about it. Well, ageism, we have to think about it. If I'm about to launch into some kind of tirade about people who are 18, shame on me. It's wrong. There, there, you can't, do I want to be categorized with every person I know who's my age? Of course not. <laughs> but it takes thought. Yeah. Yeah. And there's interesting stuff happening in the, the academic world around this. Um, what they're finding is that um, the wrong way to think about it is in um, kind of these stage theories, like Eric Erickson's talking about, you know, these conflicts between things, right? To think about... Um, well, you know, I, I struggle because, um, you know, I, I'm too old for this, but I'm, I'm too young for this. Or I, I want to have this happen, but I don't want to appear this way or that sort of thing. Um, really, it's 
it's more like what what Shatner was saying, right? When you're getting to an old, you know, we're getting to a certain age, rather than thinking, oh, well, am I am I irrelevant? Am I too old to be relevant? My, you know, what's the next step? All these sorts of things. It really is about looking at opportunities, and you know, using yourself as a measuring stick. And that's kind of what we were talking about before the show started. Was, yeah. um, it's it's unhealthy psychologically and physically to think, um, well, I'm I'm never going to get old. You know, everything is always going no, to well, remain. Yes, yeah, that's same. ridiculous. But it's also psychologically unhealthy to think, oh, well, as soon as I hit this certain number, 40 or 55 or 65 or whatever it is, mm -hmm. something's going to inevitably happen. You know, there's, you know, you, everybody, everybody lives a different life. Everybody has different things that are contributing to the aging process. Um, but some of the, the literature that I've found shows that your, your attitudes on aging can actually correlate to major diseases like cancer or hypertension or, you know, heart disease, some of these other things. Um, you know, and of course, correlation is different from, from causation, right? right? So you're not saying that, oh, well, being more optimistic is going to prevent you from getting these things. But what they find is that people who um, have a more realistic outlook on, on the process of aging and of becoming older um, they tend to be, they tend to have less of these problems, you know? And, uh, I think that that's an important, an important aspect of this is, is, you know, not, not saying, well, age is just a number, right? <laughs> no, we're all going to die. We're all going to grow old. And I think that that just that little tidbit of information should be enough to shape somebody's views on ageism, right? If you think that somebody's too old to do something, you have to say, well, someday, if I'm lucky, I'm going to be that age, right? And do I want somebody to tell me that I can't do right. something? Right. Um, one of the studies that I was looking at was um, uh, the media portrayal of elderly people during the COVID pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And how um, in an attempt to protect older people because they were more susceptible to mm -hmm. the disease, um, the media ended up portraying them as being vulnerable and frail and and this sort of thing, and asking young people to sacrifice their social lives and their other things in order to protect the old people, which bred resentment in young people for old people and kind of propagated um, ageism. And, you know, it's, it, it, it goes to show you how complex the issue is, right? You know, you want to, okay, well, part of getting old is you're more susceptible to this particular disease. Um, but Again, each old person is going, older person's going to have a different immune system, right? Every each, the, the realist, the real age, right? They have ways of measuring this now via different breath and blood tests and things. Your, your chronological age versus your biological age can be decades different, right? Mm -hmm. And so making blanket assumption, you know, blanket assumptions or blanket statements in the media about specific age groups is, you know, it's really, there's young people with, with diabetes or with other conditions that make them vulnerable to, to COVID, but it's, you didn't hear about that as much. In right. The, it's in, everything you've just described is, is you know, I'm, I'm filtering and boiling it down in my, in my head. It's the same problem we have with so much in our culture. When we actively ignore or refuse <coughs> knowledge, 
scientific knowledge, whether it's psychological knowledge or physiological knowledge or socio-political knowledge, when we, we refuse to accept it, thus huge swaths of people will not uh, do inoculations. And we get back into situations where uh, measles and so on can be a plague again because we've ignored what we once knew, once we, what we once learned. Now we've decided to ignore it because human, humanity seems to be capable of that across a generation or less, <laughs> which is really sad. It's amazing that we've ever, we've gotten this far. Uh, and, but we have the capacity. We certainly have the capacity to recognize the complexity the, the factuality of science and, and medical knowledge, the complexity of that you were just describing about biological versus uh, what social age Bio uh, chronological, chronological yeah. age and and so we just have to try to pay more attention to that i mean i I think that sometimes people assume they just, they just assume oh you're getting older, so you're going to forget things well, maybe so that doesn't mean you've become incapable of, of thought. You may search for a word. I, I've told people, I've, I've been old since I was 18 because I've always searched for words. That's why I became a language person, uh, because I love using the dictionary. I think that it, and that itself is humbling because it reminds you of how many words there are uh, and that keep propagating every day. So it, it, it's not necessarily a lack Alas, alack. I think it's, it is that um, it is a presumption. And it's a presumption to think things about how, how any other human being feels in the moment, in the condition in which they live. Whenever we say, oh, well, I know how you feel, probably we don't. Yeah, it's, a, it's an extremely complex <clears throat> issue because there's a lot of very subjective variables that are going on. I mean, Okay, so chronological age, um, you know, that's that's set in stone, right? Anybody at a, at a certain chronological age is the same chronological age as somebody with the same number. Um, but even that, based off of, um, you know, genetic or lifestyle factors, okay, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. Then you have, you know, biological age, which is the thing that, that's influenced by those things. So somebody who, you know, gets enough sleep and exercises and has a good social life and eats well and all this other stuff. Um, those effects over time kind of compound and, you know, they might be physiologically much younger than somebody who's the same chronological age. And you have sub subjective age. The interesting thing about subjective age is that this almost universally um, decreases as time goes on. So, which is to say, even somebody who has poor biological age, right? Let's say that I'm, I'm 60 years old, um, but I have the body of a 70-year-old. My subjective age is still likely to be 53, 52, seven or eight years younger than my chronological age. Um, but the subjective age also decreases more if the biological age is low. Um, and it really is about, in the studies that I've been looking at, it's about that much. Somebody who is 50 years old, um, they tend to think they're about seven years younger than they 
think they are. And as time goes on, that gap continues to increase until, you know, you get up to the age of 80 or so and you think you're in your late 60s, right? Um, that's a key, that's an important insight. That's an important empirical insight into how we're treating older people, right? Is, is this idea that when you're talking to somebody that you think is old from yeah. your subjective viewpoint, yeah. that person does not think of themselves the same way that you do, right? And I think that that's an important thing for- Deeply important. Yeah, and then we, um, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Um, you know, having functionality. Functionality is very important, right? Um, so my mom, you know, my mom is 71. And, um, you know, she, she's become more active over the past year or two than she was in the past. She's going to silver sneakers. She's doing um, a little bit more physically intense household chores and stuff. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes one of my siblings is going to be a hard time saying, don't you feel bad that mom did that? You know, she, she should be getting a hold of you and, and letting you know to do that. I said, no, I said, because the more mom can do on her own, the more mom will be able to do on her own, the older she gets, you know, if, you know, if we, we put a chairlift on her stairs and, you yeah. know, do all this stuff when she, she doesn't need it and she gets used to it, she will lose the ability to, to do the things. This that, is wise on your part. The, the, one of the most inhibitory and I think debilitating social assumptions is this very thing that you're talking about. Uh, you know, I've experienced it with uh, parents and parents-in-law where people jump to the, you got to keep them safe. Hmm. Them, right? That, that group, you got to keep them safe. Why? What do you mean by safe? And, and for some people, that means putting them in a room covered with foam so they can never trip, slip, fall. But we all fall. We all trip. And, and to try to protect somebody from anything is just as debilitating as trying to constantly protect a little one so that they never stretch. <laughs> And never take risks, and the result is not good. And, and I think that it's it can be viewed as insulting, but I think if you even put the emotive part of it aside, it is it is harming. Person, not no, you're, you're probably you know not not to not, not to leave sharp objects everywhere because you hope somebody's going to hurt themselves. Not not in a malign sense. But, yeah, I think that. The way, and I don't think that this is a scientific term, right? But I'll use it, is um, it's over-adaptive is the mm. way that I think of it, right? Because mm. humans are adaptive creatures, right? So what that means is that we want to find the the most efficient way of, of surviving, right? And so if we find an easier way to eat or a more frequent way to eat or a more calorie-dense way to eat, we take those routes. If we find an easier way to do a task, we take that route and we can see the harmful effects of that in American culture. Right. You know, I, I, I every once in a while it drives me nuts. I'll drive with somebody in a parking lot and they just drive up and down the aisles looking for a parking spot that's next to the door. Whereas me, you know, I, I just, I find the first open spot that I see in the back 
right? And then I just walk. And the truth is I probably get there faster than these the people driving up and down trying to get to the spot close to the door. I worked with a lot of people that felt the same way about a college parking lot. Well, we're, we're faculty. We should have – the president has his own designated place right up next to the building. We should have those too. Why? I got to walk in the morning. I can get my head down straight. I can walk in. It gives me air. It gives me a wind. It gives me blizzard. Yes, it's <laughs> it's a challenge. But you come in the door saying, oh, okay, now <laughs> yeah. I'm awake and ready. Right. I, I, yeah, you're right. It's annoying. <laughs> so, so we're adaptive because our ancestors, you know, and it, we faced adversity. And so in or, the way that your, your, your physiology adapts to adversity is to try to find the easiest ways to accomplish things. But what th- that doesn't take into account is that adversity is an important part of survival, right? And so you, you have to have, in order, I think in order to have a healthy life and, you know, whether it's physically or, you know, psychologically, um, you have to have some, you have to have some adversity and you have to have some adaptive, you have to put your adaptive skills to use to some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. And psychologically, you know, obviously you don't, that doesn't mean emotionally, you know, you, you, negative emotions are bad, but, but intellectually, right. You know, you, you need to be challenging yourself. You need to be, um, putting, you, you need to have some kind of struggle in order for your body to maintain um, a, a peak shape as you as you age. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, are there appropriate reasons for age discrimination? Well, we can look back and say Aristotle didn't have. Them. <laughs> have you did, have you read? No, I haven't. Stuff? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Aristotle has has brilliance, uh, of course, and and many things. But uh, from his view, from the science uh, of the day, uh, decline is caused by a cooling of the body. As the body cools, it deteriorates. (laughs) So, and and there are plenty of people say, "Well, I need an extra sweater now. My body's cooling off." Okay, so I I think that's where it comes from. But you know, he, he says there's youth. There's deterioration, and then there's prime age. <laughs> so you're in your prime. Uh, but uh, that's not helpful. So it's interesting. But ask the question. because um, Are there appropriate reasons to discriminate based on age? To discriminate based on age? Well, there are appropriate reasons to say if the only access to a building is a uh, uh, a huge flight of stairs and somebody is in a wheelchair, yes, it's appropriate to make a discrimination, which is not the same thing as being dis- the, the, the loadedness of the word to discriminate, always to the negative. When, when discriminate itself means to make choices, mm. to discern. All right. Okay. So, yeah, it's appropriate to discern conditions by which people have equal access. Um, it's appropriate to discern that uh, people who have walkers might, there's a case where somebody might need to park closer to a building, and that's why we have the, 
some special slots. Right. Uh, so, so I think that there's there is some appropriateness. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that more often than not, it's applied on the younger end of the age spectrum, right? So we have child labor laws. We, we discriminate and say... Which we so far, we have been doing terribly We lately. talked about that yes. on the last yeah, episode, yeah. yeah. But child labor laws, you sent an interesting article to me this week talking about, um, you know, how how some of these laws are, you know, they're definitely necessary, but how we determine them is is very interesting, like mm-hmm. voting, right? Because mm-hmm. you can have an 18-year-old that doesn't know anything about politics and he can vote. Or you can have a 17-year-old that's very well-versed in politics, but he's deemed too immature to vote, right? And you go, okay, well, it seems like there should be an age discrimination of some kind. You don't want a four-year-old going to the poll and just pulling levers, right? But where do you draw that line, right? And how do you do, yeah, how do you you draw the line? Do you have a literacy test for systems? Mm -hmm. I would love that. Here, let me take a literacy test. I'm 16. I can tell you more about how Congress works than than half of Congress right now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which which assumes that the one, one, uh, I love this. (laughs) People are complaining about a situation that's been taking place and they assume that one, one service, one department is subsumed by another department and they're completely separate so that there wouldn't be discrimination going on. So there are people in government who don't know how government works. <laughs> so I'm saying, sure, 15-year-old, 16-year-old can take a can take a civics test. Let them, hey, we don't pull the buttons anymore. Push, let them fill in the little flank with the number two pen or whatever pencil. And yeah, why why do we do this? Yeah, it seems like it seems like that would be a you know it it, it really changes the nature of the question, right? Because this idea of you know, what is an appropriate thing to discriminate on age about really kind of opens more up to this idea of maybe we'd be better off if there was um, a graduated level of of access, right? Voting, I think, would be a good example where you say, okay, well, maybe, you know, for instance, your, your brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25. Maybe 25 is now the voting age. Mm-hmm. but between the ages of 21 and 24, you have to demonstrate this skill. Between the ages of 18 and 21, you have to, you continue to sort of increase the barriers to entry um, so that, sure, you know, maybe a 16-year-old could vote, but they would have to pass an, uh, a rather extensive civics or literacy um, sort of exam in order to, to prove that they had the mental faculties um, to vote. And of course, a lot of people would say that it's unconstitutional. It's it's a meritocracy of, of some kind. Um, but you know, that's why we have a philosophy show is because we can we can examine the we can examine the merits of that the merits very of the meritocracy. But, um, but yeah, and, and you know, maybe that you know you could design similar things in in other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe that you know that you could make the case that's what happens at the older end of the age spectrum, right? With a, with a handicap sticker, a handicap sticker doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your age so much as your right. functionality. Right. And but there's some of that missing with like, um, the driver's license, right? You know, some, some people are saying we should really be retesting some of these older people for driving skills rather than giving them their license one time and saying that they're good. I think all of us, all of us 
because I, I just like to flummox the people who think that they're freedom for everything and all, all this is freedom. Freedom is responsibility. I think all of us should have to go take a test. Um, you could, you could graduate the, the years, but I, I think people my age, people your age, 18 years old, you should, whatever you get your driver's license, you should have to retest. And not just for your eyes. You should have to retest. We're driving around murder machines. We are driving around in bubbles with our sound systems and these these little worlds all into themselves. And, and that's dangerous. Mm. And we should have to prove that we can do this over and over again. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a very interesting philosophical discussion. And I'm sure that there's plenty of listeners that are like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is my favorite part of the episode <laughs> is when I, when I know that there's people out there and they're falling all over the spectrum on what they think about what we're saying. But, I, I, and it's not it's not a, a punitive thing. We we what is this notion that we learn to do something once and we know how to do it just as well as it can possibly be done all of our lives? Mm. We know better than this in all things. Yeah, and it it, it really um, raises the question of the importance of individual liberty versus societal functioning, right? How the individual fits into society. Yes. And, you know, and what the role of government is in facilitating those, those two things. And so, yeah, when, when you see that there's reports coming out of children working in factories or of, you know, an 86 year old running over six people in Florida or something, it makes you go, well, is, is our, our form of government, is the way that we're instituting some of these rules as effective or as efficient as it could or should be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, why, is, why is youth valued over age, do you think? Or do you think that it is? Well, I, I think super, well... <laughs> That's a really complicated question. I don't want to sound like I'm treating it in any glib way because I'm not. I mean, let's go down or up a scale or all over the place. Use is valued over age because one wants the next generation's plural to have a chance to flourish and and to live and to experience. Because why else are we here? I, I do not operate under the notion that we're here in order to learn how to behave so that we don't burn forever or so that we get to sing forever. That I don't buy it. And, you know what? So why are we here? We're here to experience life. We're here to experience life in any in, in any ways that that seem uh, that should be not gauged. I think nearly as much as they are. So there's that. Um, yes, use this value because use is prettier, <laughs> right? It's uh, not not all those wrinkles, not all those age spots. I always tell my my granddaughter that I'm turning into a snow leopard, and she really likes this. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's that transformational thing. Uh, it, it, people creak even when they're in their 20s and 30s. Joints creak, but they creak more when you get older sometimes. Not always. It's, it's that not always thing again. I think we value it for the energy that is perceived, not always that is there. Mm. Uh, it's all these perceptive, perceptual biases so that we don't actually see 
the person themselves. And with the word I just said, pretty, I meant to, that to be controversial because we went, well, look, look at all the magazine covers. This is how people are supposed to look. You can go to a grocery store your entire life and berate yourself your entire life because whether you're 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, well, all the magazines, you, you know, you're never going to measure up. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so we do this to young people. We've caused young people horrific problems by doing it. We've, we've, We've oversimplified. We've set a, a, a paragon of visuality that cannot be achieved by a lot of people, nor should it be. And and so we wreck havoc right, left, and center <laughs> with these notions. But that but we do that because this is how we wanted to think that we were, and we know bloody well we weren't most of us. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a delusion that we we send ricocheting backward. <laughs> down the generation. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that a lot of it is surface level and illusory, right? Um, I, I remember, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm into fitness. So, and I try to keep that pretty well balanced, right? I do, I do yoga for flexibility and I, I run for endurance and I lift weights for strength. And you know, I, I like doing a bunch of different things um, just, to, just to try to stay in shape. And um you know, and I, I, we, everybody watches the superhero movies, right? We see the Marvel movies and, and these these huge guys and stuff, and, and people think those these guys are in, in the best shape of anybody that I know. And I go, no, they're not. No, they're just they're just muscular, right? And then an interview came out with Chris Evans for Captain America. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, the scene you and I were talking about earlier today, on your left, right? It's running, and uh, uh, an interviewer asked him, "So how much running did they have you doing prepping for Captain America?" He said. Oh, we don't we don't do any running at all. He's like, if if I were to run, I would burn off my muscle mass. He's like, so the only time that I run is for those takes. He's like, and I'm completely winded afterwards. He's like, I'm doubled over panting um, because I'm so much heavier than I normally am, and you know, it's and I have no cardiovascular endurance. Right? Hmm. That's that's not being fit, but visually, it's it's aesthetically pleasing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have the fitness models and, and a lot of the people, we won't mention any names, but people who are just famous for being famous, yeah. Yeah. um, who have gotten caught on a regular basis, um, manipulating photos, right? Removing blemishes, uh, trimming waists, doing all these different things, put out unrealistic images of what it means to be beautiful and by extension, young, right? You don't, you don't see these people at whatever age trying to do the same thing. Um, I've always been a bit of an odd duck um, because I've always liked, I, I, I couldn't wait to be old when I was very young, five <laughs> or six, you know, I built a little office under the stairs. I, I said I was an architect. Uh, my favorite characters are Obi-Wan Kenobi and Gandalf mm. and, and all these other old, old guys, you know. Um, but I think paradoxically, having that mindset has helped me age thus far. And, and like I said, um, earlier before we started recording, um, I'm, I'm, I think of myself as, as still being very young Mm -hmm. at, at 34. And so again, this is something a lot of listeners out there will have very mixed reactions. A lot of people say 34, you're not young. And other people will say, yeah, why are you, you don't even have a right to talk about (laughs) aging, right? So it's going to be all over the map. I understand that, but you know, what the science says, you know, from, from the, the psychological research that I've done, um, 
this starts very early in life, this idea of your subjective perceptions of aging, your subjective perceptions of your functioning versus your peers functioning, all of these different things. They don't just suddenly spring up in, in, you know, later in life there, it's operating throughout. Um, and so as I've, as I've grown throughout life, I've always had this mindset that, that being old is going to be really cool. Right. (laughs) And, and, you know, there's, there's some things that, that refute that, right? We were talking before the show. Yeah. My right knee is just never going to be right. It always clicks. It always pops. And, um, you know, I, I can function, you know, 98% of the way that I, I would, but there's, there's a 2% that's just, you know, it's never going to be right. That, that part of it's gone forever. Yeah. Um, rather than throwing a pity party, right? You just learn to adapt to it and you do what you can with it. But for the most part, this idea that being old is going to be really cool has completely panned out. Like, I, th- I think that it's way cool. I think being 34 is the coolest that it's ever been. And, you know, and I think that I, I, that will continue to be the case because not because I'll never face adversity or I'll ever face limitations or decline. But I think because I have the mindset that as those things pop up, I'm going to find ways to manage them and I'm going to take advantage of the things that that you get offered throughout life as you get older. Yeah. The crystalline knowledge, the ability to have experiences to draw on, the ability to, to do different things, right? And these are cumulative, right? As you go through life, you have these cumulative factors where what you tell yourself about old people, what you tell yourself about your age and your aging um, tends to follow you throughout life and affect how that process goes. It's almost a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. And, and, and more, so, more so and clearly your research has, 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 has expressed that. And, and it is so. I mean, I fully well realize being a rational adult <laughs> that tomorrow something catastrophic could happen. Um, I, I once have said both to both of my adult um, children. Uh, there's, there's a term we don't have this right. The adult children, because they're they're well, we don't that, and I meant it. If if my story in this plane of existence ends in a day, I have told you the most important things about. It how I regard you and how I feel about you. My granddaughter, you know, my, my wife, my dear friends, I want to keep saying it. And I want to keep having adventures and I want to keep doing those things. So I'm, I'm, it's, not, it's not that. There's not this like Zen, wow, you know, I've got, uh, I think Epicurus was right. We shouldn't fret so much about it. Those of us who are fortunate not to have to suffer constantly, I'm totally acknowledging that because Suffering, there's no, there's no joy in suffering. Um, but in this condition, at this moment, uh, is to be able to feel that way and to say, well, not perfect, would have done some things differently, but I don't have lots of regrets. And um, I've, I'm, I'm expressive enough to be able to say, I, this is how I am right now. This is the condition that I'm in. It's not a bad way to feel hmm. at this stage. It's, it's, uh, 
man, I've got art to do. I've got more conversations to have and somebody to watch growing up and everybody. Go. No, it's not wanting to leave. It's just saying, if I had to, um, it's been a fine adventure. Yeah, and I, I, that's what I always say too, which is that, you know, I've been alive for 34 years, but it seems like I've been alive forever. It seems like I've re- lived a really long, really good life. You know, and so if, if I died tomorrow, right, everybody universally across the board would say, what a tragedy it is. Oh, he died so young. Oh, yeah. he, he had so much more that he could do and, and that he, and that's true, right? You know, obviously I want to live to be old, but, yeah. but, you know, I think that there's, again, that your subjective experiences and, and how you look at how life has gone so far and how you're expecting it to go in the future it plays a big role in how that future actually does unfold. And I think that there's something to this, even though it maybe wax into the mystical or the spiritual <laughs> or wherever it goes, but it's but it's tied to ageism in the sense that I think people, again, make assumptions about people who are old. I think people who are, as you grow older, you might cast a thought to death more often than younger people. Not people who have suicidal ideation, and I'm speaking for any of that kind of experience. But for myself, so you may think about it once in a while, a little more. Have I planned? Have I done whatever you as a, whatever you can plan for? You do, but be grateful. If you have you have you, can you think of moment after moment after moment of things that that of, of relationships of, of the people in your life, and I felt truly grateful and expressed that. Uh, that's that's a kind of youthening. Well, I'm sure there are lots of young people who don't necessarily feel grateful about how things are for them right now for all kinds of reasons. But if you find that, I think that it's, and it doesn't require religious conversion or anything else. It just requires a, sometimes it's just good to say thank you. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I was reading a study about that yesterday. They said that um, there's a specific point in time um, as people reach middle age where, um, they suddenly stop thinking about how much time they've been alive and they switch their mindset to how much time they have left and that the attitudes they have towards that perspective shift plays a big role in how they develop into older people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is an interesting topic. Cause you're right. You know, as you, you always think, Oh, I'm 34 years old. I've been around for 34 years. Right. But I don't think I'm 34 years old. Do I have, 40 years left, 50 years left, 60, 30, no, they're, they're, you know, way lies madness. That's a rabbit hole that attempts. Sometimes you slip down and, and, and sprain your ankle in it a little bit. And toward what end? I mean, right. <laughs> just like, yeah. oh, okay. I don't want to watch what's going on now. I just want to know when I'm going to get to the end of the, the, the destination on the map. It's classic. Go on the throughway, go as fast as you can. Don't look at anything. Just get there. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> and nobody has any way of, of knowing. Um, do you think ageism will, will decrease as the population gets older and longevity increases? Uh, I uh, decrease not necessarily. I, I think we're we set we set up all kinds of there's a whole lot of attitudinal stuff that has to be worked through because clearly on a planetary scale, um, 
population growth is diminishing uh, in in large measure, not universally, but but in many 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 places. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for the planet, and it's certainly not bad. Uh, it's not a bad thing, but I think as people age, unless they unless attitudes shift towards aging, unless this idea. Which people my age embrace uh, some, uh, you know, sometimes differently. Uh, so, well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to retire because then I can just sit in the easy chair. And there's still that out there. I don't think nearly as much. A lot of people are working at Walmart or anywhere else that uh, because they want to or because they need to because of finances or resources. But I, um, yeah, my dad's, he's 85. And he makes cookies for people, and he's he's worked really hard at mobility, and he's you know, not as mobile as he as he used to be, but he he's worked really hard at having a relationship with his great granddaughter, so such that now she recognizes and and you know, it, which is endlessly meaningful to him. But he also talks a lot about how how it's not fun to get older, but but that I he often says I've got to keep moving, mm-hmm. I must keep moving. Because what else is there? And, and in that, I think he means it's not just moving for the sake of moving, but it's moving because, because for the sake of still interacting with people and having relationships with people, which I think is why he's 85. You know, and uh, that and, and lots of medical help. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think we, we are going to have, we are in the process of so many things changing on this planet. It's always been change. Change is life. We know that the, the truisms, but but there the population uh, proportions are different, and I think that inevitably is going to list, lead to changes in attitude. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be very interesting because um, I remember my dad saying something uh, when he was he turned forty, and I remember him saying, "Man, you know, I remember my dad when he was forty, and he was so old." <laughs> He's like, and I don't. I don't think that I'm old. And I don't think my dad was, was old when he was 40 either. And then I think about my dad when he was 50 and I go, okay, well, he was, he was starting to get old, but I still wouldn't think of him as old then, <laughs> you know? And so you see this progression and, and you can look at pictures, photo albums, right? Of, of your family and go back and go, oh yeah, this was great grandpa, you know, white hair and bald at the age of 37 or whatever. And then, you know, each, each progressive generation seems to be less old. And so I think we see it happening all the time now in pop culture, which is not a directly analogous because these people have, you know, sure. less stressful lives and then other things that play into it. But, but I think by and large, I think that the pattern does hold that people are, are aging better in conjunction with the population becoming older. I think that the most recent thing I read is that by 2050, um, the the largest age demographic in the United States will be people 65 and older. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only going to get older, you know? So you think this idea of ageism, of, of discriminating against um, specifically older people, um, it would have to give at some point if most people are older people and if people are being um, biologically younger at, at more advanced ages, seems as if the attitudes would have to, to change. I, I, I put to you that if using pop culture, 
that two generations ago in movies, there wouldn't be an, adve- uh, an adventure hero who's clearly old, Indiana Jones. Hmm. Oh, uh, who knows what that storyline for the new movie, I'm going to watch it. But what I like is while they use the technology to make him young for some scenes back, so decades earlier, some back and forth that's going on, the way you watch how he moves. Yeah, I think in the trailer, he's still doing impossible things for somebody who's 80, but not entirely impossible. But the fact of a, somebody in his 80s who is still seen as viable, I've got one more adventure in me. Or maybe I have one more adventure after that or whatever. And Harrison Ford himself, who's none of us are paragons of virtue. I use the word paragon a lot lately because I've been hearing it more. But, but um, no, I mean, who, who knows the complexity of, of marital relationships and all the rest of it? I'm not, I'm not speaking to that. But speaking to the man as a craftsman who, who's, you know, is on a television show for the very first time. He's taken a, he's taken a Marvel contract. Then people say, well, he's doing it for the money. Well, maybe, maybe he's doing it for multiple alimonies, but I think he's doing it for something else too, which he expressed, which is, he says, I, I want to work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, I, I get that, Joel. That, you know, talking yeah. of doing this is not, is not work in the same sense. Uh, for some people, but it still is because I'm researching, I'm thinking, we're talking. Yeah, no, that yeah. there's a, two very important things tied up there that are, you know, in light of the research I did for my most recent paper, I think it's important to distinguish between. And the one is, um, yes, the the ability, the ability and the want to work and to contribute and to be relevant. And I think that's something that is very important and should be recognized as an important part of people's lives at any age. At any age, yes. But the other thing that's tied up in there that um, I I think is kind of interesting is when they were looking at, they're trying to determine if ageism was um, demographically or contextually based. And so, which is a way of saying, they're trying to determine if um, a culture is ageism merely because old people exist or whether a culture is ageism because there's attitudes that contribute to it. And what they found was that there, you know, there's attitudes that contribute to it. And those attitudes, if you break it down, are cultural masculinity and long-term focus, which broken down even further is um, physicality, competitiveness, and the idea that you want you're looking at the long-term function of the country. So younger people play a more important part in that plan than, than older people. So, and the highest ranking country in terms of ageism was the United Kingdom. And I think the lowest was Ghana. Um, and it, there was sort of a, a third to first world arc to it. And I think that, so you see that with Indiana Jones, right? They, they're not making a movie about him. Um, being a professor at 85, right? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't I be. I think there's a scene or two when they're like, they're right, right, it might, <laughs> and we all, you know, we'll all admit that might not be as entertaining. You could make it. Yeah. I mean, you could make it a, some sort of mystery solving from the classroom. You could do that, but there's, there's the masculinity part of it, right? We want to see him be physical. We want to see him be competitive, right? Um, we have this, <clears throat> this thing. And, you know, what they what they found is those sorts of attitudes contribute to ageism, right? So 
if we see Harrison Ford and, you know, and, and even if they're, they're digitally making him do things that an 85 year old can't, right. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're saying that, yes, but we're not going to discriminate against him, not because he's old, but because he's old, but he can still be young. He can still do the things he can do when he's young. Yes. Right? And that can be dangerous. That mm. can, that, yes, that's absolutely can be debilitating because that's back to what you were saying before. Well, we just never change. <laughs> right. Of course we do. I can't, um, there, I'm sure there are some people my age who could give you a good run when they're out there. Running has never been my thing. And so I run with my granddaughter and that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. But I do other exercise to keep myself, um, reasonably fit, you know, I, um, and, and so I'm, no, I'm not Indiana Jones. I never was going to be Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, but, um, and, and that's not really the goal for me. But see, that seeing that trailer, it wasn't that he's leaping across trains and running. And that's, it's, it's the, the, there in that trailer, this isn't an advertisement, but it was just really interesting. When he's talking about what belief is, there's this little monologue across the trailer. Um, it ends up being having, uh, believing because you need to believe or some, something like that. And I, that sounds like energy of the kind that I can yeah. associate yeah, and, with. And, you know, I was, the internal energy. Yeah. And I was using him mostly just as an example. I think, in, you know, in the trailer, they do acknowledge that he's old, you know, and they do talk about how those days of adventuring are, are behind him, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that the movie's going in it into it glibly. I think that, that his age does play a part in, into how the character is, has developed and, and is going to be portrayed. Um, but yeah, I think that the bigger, the bigger picture and point is that what the important part of, of successful aging is functionality in whatever form that means to the person. Yes. Right. There can be old athletes. Adaptive functionality. Yes. Using your yes. Yes. Word. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's certainly old athletes, um, <laughs> that, that do very well. I was watching the, the, Disney documentary series with uh, Chris Hemsworth, Limitless, about um, about aging. Yeah, and on yeah. the, each episode, they do a different they look at a different part of it. Um, and for the strength episode, they had a um, uh, it was an eighty, I think it was a a bodybuilder, and I think that she was almost ninety years old. And you looked at her, and you go, she could give anybody at any age a run for their money, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so certainly, you know, physicality in and of itself is not is not a negative um, thing from a, a physical, from a, an individual standpoint. Yeah. It's more the cultural standpoint that tends to, you know, obfuscate and give meaning to things where it, it shouldn't be. But no, certainly, you know, it's, but I think the functionality is the important the part. Right? Being able important to do part. the things that are important to you. I, you know, I, I have a friend who was also, um, he's 84. He was a former professor. He lives in Florida. He's dear to me as is his wife. His wife is, Younger than he, but he, she's my art teacher. They've been friends for decades. He's, he's a former theater drama uh, professor. And we decided later than I would have, I don't know why we decided, that we, we read a play each week. Plays for the most part that I never read. We've read through much of the work of Arthur Miller recently. And each week, every week, week and a half, we set a time and we have an hour conversation. 
I learned so much from him. Um, he says that it gives him joy to be able to keep doing this. And he's, he's writing like you, you've been working on a novel. I know all the other stuff is going on in your life, but, but, uh, he, he's doing that. And it's, and it's amazing piece of work. Um, and as I said, he's, he's 84. Arthur Miller, uh, was writing into his late eighties of writing plays. That was his last play that people were writing into their nineties. Roger Penrose. Yes. Head of, you know, I mean, he's one of the biggest Titans in physics at 94, six. And still has some things to say. Mm -hmm. And probably himself would say, I'm not contributing to the field the way that somebody twenties, thirties, whatever, because of, the plasticity because of the new concepts and, and so on, but he still has things to offer. It's not about the relevance of trying to prove to the world that you can fix the world or anything like that. It's just, it's about the, do I still have something to, in some small way to add to this uh, grand adventure, that weird adventure, whatever that this mm -hmm. is. And I think if you lose that, that's going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting conversation, but I think I think that 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 is the important part is is looking at um at your life and not letting a number, whatever that number is, determine it, and not not ignoring it, not not pushing it aside, but knowing that as you get older, things will change, and realizing that no matter what that change entails, there's there's something in there that you can you can have a meaning you can make a meaning of that you can contribute to and, and kind of continue on until next time keep on.